Our guest speaker today is actually here to be a part of an Engage Family Ministries event later today. You may recall Engage Family Ministries was launched by Steve and Sarah Odie, who were on staff at this church and have now branched off to launch a ministry. And so our guest is here to speak at their event. We were able to just sort of piggyback on that, which is awesome. And so Jim Burns, who's a nationally known, probably internationally known speaker and author, is here to share with us. Jim is the founder of Homeward which is a ministry that he does speaking all over the country to thousands of people a year on families, strong families, strong marriages, good parenting, and, uh, and a media-safe home, which is what he'll be talking about tonight. Not, not here, but um, so you don't show up here tonight. We don't have that happening here. I think that's at Westminster, if I remember correctly. But uh, Jim has written, uh, I think it's, he has over 2 million resources in print in 20 different languages. He's written a whole bunch of books on parenting and marriage and families. And he is at, uh, he's the executive director of the Homeward Center for Youth and Families at Azusa Pacific University. So we are incredibly blessed to have Jim sharing with us today. It's going to be a little different today. It's not kind of the normal message. It's more of a talk about how we can have really healthy, strong families and relationships, which is absolutely a biblical thing and absolutely something we want more of. So I would ask you to join me in welcoming to the stage, Jim Burns. Thank you, Adam. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be with you all. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know Adam and hear about the leadership of the church. Uh, This is my third time actually here, but it's been some time. And Went out there and just met, felt like I was right at home. So great to be with you. And Adam is exactly right. This is a different type of a message than you might be used to. We're going to talk about families. We're going to talk about relationships. Nobody in here has ever had a messy family or a messy relationship, have you? Yeah, right. You know, a sinner marries another sinner, and then you have sinnerlings. And uh, we bump into each other. I didn't know how to do relationships. I was raised in a home where my dad was an alcoholic, a good guy from Missouri, of all places, and uh, maybe that's why we could blame his alcoholism, I'm not sure, um, when it got cold. But, uh, and my mom, her dad was an alcoholic, so I kind of came from that system. And I met Kathy in college, got married one week after, and her family was just kind of pure crazy. And so, When we came together, we thought it was going to be easy because we were new Christians, and it was not easy. It wasn't easy in our marriage. As we had kids, it wasn't easy. I just have finished a book that's just come out called Doing Life with Your Adult Children, Keep Your Mouth Shut, The Welcome Mat Out, and we thought it was going to be easy by the time our kids were adults, and we have found that there's even some struggles and issues in there. I remember Kathy saying one time, you know, I thought it was going to be less complicated as the kids got older. But today, I want to take a look at at relationships. I need to tell you a story. There was a husband and a wife. They went to the doctor. He was sick. Didn't really know what was going on, so he went into the doctor. The doctor poked, prodded, asked questions, took urine samples, blood. He was in there for an hour and a half. I mean, the doctor would go out and meet with somebody else and then come back. Finally, the wife started to stand up. At that point, the door opens, and the doctor says, can you come with me? He kind of has a grim look on his face. So the Doctor brings her into his office. She passes our husband putting on his clothes. And the doctor sits down and just immediately says, your husband is severely ill. And in fact, he's so ill that if you don't do exactly what I tell you to do for the next 12 months, I'm afraid he's going to die. I mean, who wants to hear that? So she says, what do I do? And he said, well, for one thing, I know you both work, and I know he gets up a little earlier than you, but he says he eats sugary cereal. Is there any way... He doesn't seem capable of cooking himself, so is there any way you could 
cook for him. Maybe bacon and eggs, um, ham and cheese omelet he said he liked. She was like, I, I guess so. And the kids, sounds like the kids are in a great stage, but sounds like it's a little chaotic at home and there's some need of discipline. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for you to allow your husband just to kind of play with the kids when he comes home from work because he has a lot of stress at work. And then why don't you take on all the discipline for the next 12 months? He just is the good guy. You become the disciplinarian. Okay. No nagging or negativity to your husband for 12 weeks or 12 months. She said, none? No. No nagging, no negativity. I mean, he has a lot of stress and he's going through a tough time. Okay. And, and one other thing. You need to please his every whim. So whatever he asks for, whatever he needs, just please his whim. And if you do that, I honestly think that in 12 months, you're going to be fine. And he'll be fine, and you can go back to doing whatever. She's stunned. They walk out together from the the doctor's office. They get in the car. They haven't spoken. The husband starts driving, and he looks toward her, and he said, I think that doctor thinks I'm really sick. I mean, he asked a lot of questions. He poked, prodded, took all kinds of tests. He wants me back. I mean, what did he say to you? She's looking out the window. You're gonna die. (laughs) Now, the point is this, that relationships where we're not intentional, they die, or at least they fade. And no one wants to live in a house when you could live in a home. And so what I want to talk about today is how do we make our houses our homes? Too many people, I did an event yesterday, and it was in Southern California. Uh, the organization I work with does these refreshing your marriage events, and we happened to have a big one yesterday. And, and a, a husband and a wife said to me, we really are roommates, and we want, to, we want to be closer. We want to have that kind of relationship, but we've been roommates for a long time. And I would imagine, there was a couple thousand people in that room, I would imagine that To be honest, there were a lot of people who kind of felt sometimes like they were roommates or they want a a, a closeness that they don't have. They're living in a house, but it it really isn't a home. Now, it's kind of funny. I mentioned that I came from a dysfunctional family, and yet people ask me the question all the time because I write and speak on relationships. They'll say, you know, to me, they'll ask the big question, what are the key ingredients that make up a successful relationship? And I think they're disappointed because I always say, you know what, there's no magic wand there's not a book. I've got books in the back. You can't buy a book back there and have this book and it's magic and you read it and now all relationships are going to be perfect because that's not the way, I don't even think that's the way God intended. But as I started studying healthy relationships in my whole adult life, that's what I've done. What does a healthy relationship look like? In studying that, I come up with two words that rise above the rest. And here are the words. Are you ready for them? Positive adaptability. Positive adaptability. Now, I don't think most people think of those two words as being the ones that rise above the rest, but as I started looking at patterns in people's relationships, what was fascinating was there were people who were doing well, and I want to know what makes them do well, and there were people who were doing poorly, what makes them do poorly, and although they had the same conflict, that's what's amazing, same problems, same issues, that the ones who did well were the ones who seemed to use more of this kind of positive adaptability, if you would. So I've got three points. They're very simple points. They're not easy points, but they're simple. I believe they come strictly out of the Bible. And yet these points are points that I think all of us could incorporate. Again, this isn't just if you're married. This is if you're talking about a relationship with your parents or if you're single or if you're uh, talking about your kids or whatever. I think these all work in relationship. 
And again, no easy answers, but some patterns we may want to look at. So the first one is this, be adaptable. Be adaptable. So I ask a man named Neil Clark Warren. He's a mentor in my life. All of you have seen Neil Clark Warren. You might not know you have, but you have. You've seen him on TV. He's the, he's the founder of eHarmony.com. So when you see the eHarmony commercials, he's this man with beautiful white hair, and right now he's 85. He's not on their commercials anymore. But you know, he's the guy who would be kind of a grandpa type. He's just loving, caring. What a lot of people don't know is that Neil is a Christian. In fact, we went to the same seminary. He, uh, he went 20 years before me. But he also is a marriage expert and a relationship expert. And so I was in his office. I was doing some work with eHarmony in terms of the Christian side of it. And I said to, to Neil, uh, you know, what is the most important trait for, and for a healthy relationship? Whether it be with your spouse or with someone you're dating or with your kids. And he, without a moment's hesitation, said adaptability. I thought, interesting that he just jumped at that. And you know, one of the few realities of life is that in a family, change happens, stuff happens, storms happen. You might be in a storm right now. You might be really feeling it. You came to church today saying, God, give me a sign. Give me some love. Give me some comfort because you're in a storm. If you're not in a storm, the bad news is this maybe it's bad news, you're going to get into a storm. Maybe you've just come off of a storm. Because storms happen, and, and I don't know what it is. It's the storms of our life that you know, happen. It's the uh, staying married, uh, having a kid who value, violates your values, um, trying to you know, get your kids to become responsible adults one day, uh, normal losses of life, health, job, I mean, you name it, whatever is that pit in your stomach, that's what we're talking about here. And what Neil was saying was that you need adaptability. He went on to say um, more about it, and I'll get into that in a minute, but I want to read to you a scripture. And this scripture is found in the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is the most famous sermon ever spoken, the most, sermon, most famous sermon ever written, and it's the words of Jesus. And this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the paragraph right at the end. And sometimes right at the end is like, you know, the, the preacher is, is taken at home. And what he's talking about is not just relationships here. He's talking about how we build our life. And are we going to build our life on sand or on, on a rock, Right? I was just in, in Italy, and I was actually at the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and I learned all kinds of things about it, because it's a fascinating building. Anybody here been to the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Yes. Oh, wow. A lot of you have. So it's a fascinating thing to go look at. It, was, it took 344 years to build, but they built the foundation wrong. So they put all of their energy on the externals, and when you're not dealing with the internals, you make a mistake. Well, they didn't deal with the internals, and so the sand down below is literally, the foundation is shifting. One day it will fall if they're not careful, if they're not picking that up. By the way, there's a leaning tower now of San Francisco. I don't know if you know this, but it's called the Millennium Tower. It cost $350 million to build. They opened it in, two, in April of, of uh, 2009. And it's now going to cost them more than it costs to build the building to get this structure. It's the tallest building in San Francisco. I call it the Leaning Tower of San Francisco. It's really called the Millennium Tower. But I want to read this scripture to you. And think about your family. Think about relationships as I just read this. Now, this scripture, I'm not going to exegete. I'm going to use this scripture as a foundation for some other things that I'm going to say. 
Take a look at this scripture. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus speaking, and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's what we want. Goes on to say, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Well, the same rain came down, the same streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Some of you know that story from relationships. And so the point here that I want to make anyway is that rain and wind, like I said, it's going to come. And it comes if you're a Christian or it comes if you're not a Christian. It comes to all of us. It comes to all of humankind. And what we want to do is build some rock-solid patterns to help you with your relationships today. So the first one, as I said, was adaptability, and Dr. Warren went on in that conversation to say to me, if I could give one gift to every couple on their wedding day, I'd wrap up a large box filled with adaptability, because no matter how good your relationship is, you will have to be flexible enough to change yourself and at least tolerate your partner's differences. That's good advice. But it's actually good advice for a lot of us. We need to probably be more flexible, more adaptable. Now, Kathy and I have been married for 45 years. So we've got the marriage thing down, but we still have what we call a high-maintenance marriage. It's funny, we speak on it. We're doing a big conference in two weeks. Both Kathy and I speaking on marriage. We write books together on marriage, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we have kind of a high-maintenance marriage. We've got to keep working on it. And we drive each other nuts because we are so different. You know, what attracted me to her now bugs me. I don't know, anybody like that in here? I mean, it kind of happens, okay? So we get married, and I'm an extrovert. She's an introvert. Cool. All of a sudden, I become a youth pastor at a church, and we're at a party, and I have a shallow conversation with every person, okay? And she comes in and has a meaningful conversation with one person sitting on a couch, and it drives me nuts because I get in the car, and I said, did you meet everybody? She goes, no, I just had this wonderful conversation with someone. She goes, I'm so tired from being around all these people. And I'm like energized, see? So now we have to embrace each other's differences to make this thing happen. Kathy is realistic. She's not negative, but she's realistic. And I'm totally the eternal optimist. And it drives her nuts, you know? Because I'm like, no, it's going to be great. You know, the sky is falling. It's going to be great, you know? And, and it drives her nuts because, again, she's, she's a realist. Kathy, in all of our time, I'm on time, Kathy is late. So I think she's made it to the service at a church for the first part of the first song maybe twice in 45 years. I mean, it's unbelievable, okay? We honestly drive separately at times. And when I was on a church staff, we always, of course, had to drive separately or where's Jim? Oh, he'd be late. And that just drives her uh, nuts that that actually at a time bothered me. And now I have to kind of play a principle that I'm going to give you in a minute. The other thing about Kathy is that she's really a detailed person and I'm not. And sometimes you'll have kids who are detailed or not detailed and it drives you crazy. So like with Kathy and I, uh, I'm just not as detailed. So she balances the checkbook. Do you who are under 40 know what a checkbook is? I mean, honestly, you guys don't use checkbooks anymore. I realize you guys don't. In the front row, do you guys use checkbooks? Do you know what a checkbook is? You do, okay, like your parents had a checkbook or your grandparents, okay, I, 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 was, I wanted to make sure this is gonna work for you. So we get married, it's one of our first fights, 
um, we're, I'm a youth pastor at a church at the time, and, and we're living in a studio apartment where we can see, I, in the, from bed, I can see every part, including the bathroom of our, of our whole, whole, you know, we called it a condo. Why? I have no idea. And uh, Kathy is in the living room, and it's 1.30 at night, and she's doing this. <sighs> and she's making this noise, and I have no idea what this noise is. You know, I'm a newlywed, so, you know, it's new to me. And uh, so I say, Kathy, are you okay? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I can't, I, I can't balance the checkbook. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Then I'm thinking, wait, I'm a youth pastor. I don't have any money anyway. And I'm the one who would just round it off. And I, I said, how long have you been doing this? And she said, since you went to bed. Well, I went to bed a long time before that. So I get up to try to be the loving husband. I said, so how much are you trying to balance? She goes, for like two hours, I've not been able to find a $1.31. Now, some of you just went, that lady is a problem. And others of you went, and so what's the problem? I mean, she should be trying to balance. I totally get that, okay? So I walked up to her, and I said, what? And she said, $1.31. I'm missing $1.31. So I did what any loving husband who's not very detailed would do. I went into the other room. I pulled the dollar out of my pocket. I took 31 cents, and I slammed it on the kitchen table. I said, here's your $1.31. Come to bed. And um, sleeping on the couch that night... (laughs) for the first time, but not the last, um, wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But my point being is that we're different. So we've had to actually learn to be adaptable, and I think we have a really good marriage now, but we have a good marriage because we're adaptable. You know, our kids are adults, and yet we've had to learn to be adaptable because I want to give them advice. I mean, why do you need to go to Europe to find yourself? I have all the answers for you right here, say. And so... With this, I've had to learn to be adaptable. See, and it's not always easy, okay? But I, I want to give you a principle. And this principle is worth you coming to church today, okay? Are you ready for the principle it's about adaptability? Does it really matter? I mean, that's the principle. Does it really matter? Does it really matter that Kathy comes late to church? I mean, it bugs me still. But does it really matter? I mean, it hasn't changed our relationship. Does it really matter that, you know, my daughter, Becca, has a different view about what she wears than what I wear? I mean, does it really matter? Now, some things matter. Please don't miss this. Some things matter, but please hear this. You, everything can't matter in a relationship. If everything matters, then kind of nothing matters. So does it really matter? I mean, let's take a very important issue. Are you ready for this? It's the toothpaste tube that you share with someone. So that partner shares the toothpaste tube by squeezing it from the middle, and you roll it neatly, may I add, as Jesus would do. (laughs) Does it really matter? Well, actually, you could get two toothpaste tubes and you never have to worry about it. So adaptability and the doesn't really matter is a big deal. Now, I want to show you a, a video. And if you, ha- if you like British humor, you'll like this video. If you don't like British humor, you're going to like tell Adam, never have this young man come back again because it's kind of gross. But it's, I'm a youth pastor at heart. So it's a couple. They got married on Saturday, uh, Saturday. This is Sunday morning of their honeymoon. And they're in a hotel suite. And uh, she's, I think, just kind of getting used to this guy. Okay? Are you ready? Here it is.
Now, some things matter. He needs, he needs to be trained badly. I totally admit this, okay? But at the same time, some things don't matter. Does it really matter if she bites her nails? See? But if you put too much energy in the small things, then you're not going to really be heard in the bigger things. So adaptability is, is critical. And I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. So we all have docking, dock, barking dogs in our life, but if we throw stones at all of them, we'll never get to that destination. And, and let me just add this, that we've got to be adaptable because adaptable, adaptable families don't whine. And actually adaptable families don't blame or they don't shame. And if they do, and you're playing that game, you're probably not in a good place because it's the pattern that I was talking about. It's actually, whether you knew it or not, is you were building your relationship on sand as opposed to building it on a rock because literally to build it on the rock is the right way and that means the adaptable way. And by the way, adaptability is not easy. If you're a control person, a control freak or whatever, I realize I'm asking you to do something that's, that's harder than somebody else. And that's still... I'm still telling you that's part of the pattern, okay? Now, the second word, just as easy, but also, I mean, just as simple, but still not easy, is be positive. Now, I'm not talking about a fake positive. You know, there are books written on, you know, positive thinking and all this kind of stuff without a faith and deep-rooted faith. I'm not talking about that. I'm actually talking about combining your faith and yet going positive. In fact, Positivity is the twin sibling to adaptability. And let me say this, positivity is the emotional climate of your relationships. How's the emotional climate of your relationships right now? How's the emotional climate with your teenager? How's the emotional climate with your adult child? How's the emotional climate with your spouse? Teenagers, how's the emotional climate with your parents? And so what we learn is that if you're positive toward one another and you're developing positivity toward one another, you're going to do a lot better. There's a man named John Gottman. Gottman is the world's researcher on, on marriage and, uh, and relationships, sort of. And what he says is the difference between a stable relationship and an unstable relationship is the positivity that people have toward one another. It's that simple. I mean, he oversimplifies this, and yet this is what he does. This is what he does all day. He studies people. And so, same problems, same issues, but if a person is positive toward one another, they do well, and if they're negative, well, they don't, they don't do so well. So life is more about perspective than circumstance. In fact, let me say it this way. Your circumstance may not change. But your attitude can change, and that makes all the difference in the world. And some of the circumstances, even in a relationship, we tend to put too much energy on the circumstance of the relationship rather than the perspective of the relationship. But experts say and that we can have what we call learned optimism. And I actually think, for me anyway, that's becoming more and more of a spiritual trait. That if I lean toward negativity, it's not easy for me. But if I lean toward learned optimism, I'm going to do a whole lot better. Now, Gottman, again, talks about this thing called the magic ratio. And the magic ratio goes this way. Take a look at it on the screen. It says, for every five positive interactions, the magic ratio of a healthy relationship is five to one negative interactions. So if you have five positive interactions, you can have a negative interaction. In fact, you're going to have a negative interaction. The problem is, is too many relationships are based on more negative than even positive, and those are the ones that are going down. So for some reason, as people look at this, they say this is kind of the, 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 the magic ratio, more positive toward negative. And let me speak for a minute about negativity. Uh, 
negativity kills relationships. Okay, and some of us have that bent. Flee from it. So Philippians 2.14 says this. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. And if you're a grumbler and a complainer, you're probably an unhappy person. And if you're a grumbler and a complainer, you've developed a bad habit. Grumbling and complaining is almost just like a habit. And so we have to unlearn that because your people, whoever you're in relationship with, are sort of running from you or at least hiding from you behind screens and behind um, relationship, other relationships and behind the work that they do or whatever it might be. Because nobody really wants to be by negative Nancy or negative Ned all the time. Negativity can kill a relationship quicker than a wildfire. So I've said, flee from it. Uh, This may sound like an oversimplification, but it's going to devour the happiness of any relationship if it's constantly. Even if you criticize a lot, constant criticism, even though you may be right, breaks apart the relationship after a while. See, And so we have to be careful with that. that we don't just criticize. I, even tonight, you know, tonight I'm with Steve who uh, is from this church and it's Engaged Ministries program and it's on creating a media safe home. And it's really a good program and it's really awesome. But here's one of the things is that if we teach our kids about pornography or we teach our kids about screen time or Snapchat or social media and all this or the addiction to that, which we'll all talk about all that stuff. But you know, it's, if we only do it on the negative side, the kids aren't gonna listen. We've got to figure out how to teach from a positive side. In fact, going farther than even tonight's talk on on creating a media safe home, I was talking to somebody as a Christian, and I said, you know what, nobody becomes a Christian because we're mean to them. They become a Christian because we're, we're kinder to them and because we're positive toward them, see? And so we want to take that into consideration. The Bible says, as a, he thinks in his heart, so is he. That's, by the way, Proverbs 23, 7. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. What Emerson said about that was that you become what you think about. So if you think about negative all the time toward those relationships, it's gonna be a negative relationship. So I have a background in counseling and I'm gonna put up two words. One is patterns, one is problems. So if you had a problem, we we were having Starbucks coffee together and we were talking about problems. We can kind of fix problems. It's much harder to fix patterns. And what I see with a lot of relationships is that we have negativity patterns. And those are hard. Now, now what, what are your negativity patterns? Do you know what your negativity patterns are? When do you go negative? You know when I go negative? When I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. I need to halt. Hungry, angry. I don't know what yours are. What are your negativity blind spots? Now, They're called blind spots because we typically don't know what blind spots are, but somebody's gonna tell us and people have probably already told us what our blind spots are. My wife, Kathy, is glad to tell me my blind spots. So if I I ask, and I should, because I wanna be better in the relationship and so I've gotta know what those blind spots are. And I'm looking at some students out there and I'm saying, hey, this is the same with your parents. And if you can figure this out younger, it goes much better as you get older because people who are positive when they're young are positive when they're old. And people who are grumpy and negative when they're young are grumpy and negative when they get old. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is, okay? So when we go negative, we have to ask this question. What's my desire? Do I wanna prove that I'm right? 
or do I, do I want to improve the relationship? That's a great sentence, by the way. When we're even in conflict, do I want to prove that I'm right and be negative, or do I want to improve the relationship? Now, I'm not saying that you don't have harsh conversations. I'm not saying you don't have conflict in families and things like that. Conflict is not all bad. It actually can be good. But what I am saying is maybe we need the discipline to not go negative all the time. My daughter, Rebecca, who's actually been here to the church with me, I was talking to her on the way to the airport last, uh, yesterday, and, um, and she, was, she was said, oh, I totally remember the church. They're great people and, and whatever. But... Um, She's a, now she has her degree in, in clinical psychology and she's a Christian counselor. And she taught me a new word about two years ago. Are you ready for the word? I'm gonna teach it to you. It's called awfulize, awfulize. It's up on your screen. It's a verb and it's informal. And in the dictionary, I'm gonna take the dictionary meaning of the word awfulize and it says, it, uh, this is the person that, imagining, that imagines to be, it to be as bad as it can possibly be. Any situation. Are you an awfulizer? There's probably some awfulizers in the room. Elbows not allowed, because I just saw a couple of elbows going like this. You know, I was awfulizing that upcoming confrontation that I was planning with my spouse, and it, it didn't go well. I mean, you might be the person that says, you know, my husband's late from work again. He's probably having an affair. My fifth grader is out of control and he's probably impregnated the entire fifth grade. We're gonna never get out of debt. We're gonna never be happy. And so when you do that, it goes back to that self-fulfilling prophecy. Do you awfulize? So if you do, I I actually have um, two words for you that I took from a counselor. And I'm gonna, this is about a seven minute counseling session that I'm gonna show you now, but I've moved it down to just a couple of minutes, okay? So the therapist is talking to the woman who has a problem, and I really like his advice. Now the therapist, you're gonna know who this therapist would be if you're over 40. These guys are gonna have no, they don't have checkbooks and they have no clue who Bob Newhart is, okay? But this is the therapist, okay? So let's take a look at Bob's advice. It's not all that bad. Awfulizer. That was horrible. What do you do if you're an awfulizer? Stop. Stop it. Now, again, I understand it's not that simple. I didn't say it was, you know, easy. It's complicated. But honestly, what we want to do is, with God's help and with God's strength and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to be able to improve our relationships. And so the good news is, is that we have God's presence in our life because he's the inventor of healthy relationships. And sometimes we forget about that. But speaking as a kid from a dysfunctional family, I had to make a decision to either repeat the sins of previous generations. You know, the Bible says that you inherit the sins of a previous generation to the third and fourth generation. I had to either repeat or recover. What I'm saying is one of the things we need to do in relationships, and I'm looking to some of you to be leaders in this and some of you younger people to be leaders, is we've got to break the chain of dysfunction. We've got to be able to recover and not repeat, and that, what that means is we learn how to stop it. And so there's been things in my life relationally because rela- doing better with relationships is a learned trait. And so we can learn how to do this more effectively, see. 
And so it really does get back to that scripture that we're gonna build our relationships on a rock as opposed to on the sand, just like what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about something much more than just relationships. So we are gonna be adaptable, we're gonna be positive, and we're gonna be kind. Are those the simplest words? I mean, this is kind of a simple message, to be kind. Kindness matters. May I say that to you again, every one of you? I'd like to cup your face and just say, no, kindness matters. Kindness matters, say. So we stop awfulizing, we become kind. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about kindness. Did you know that? So the Bible says in a number of scriptures, and I'm gonna pick four, the Bible says that kindness matters. Look at the first one. This is Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, even as in Christ God forgave you. You might need to be kind and, and bring forgiveness to someone. They, they don't deserve it, but then you didn't deserve the forgiveness of God. It's not about you. It's about his forgiveness. And so we take what he's given to us and we give it to somebody else, and that means we be kind. And you say, but, but they're not kind to me. My kids aren't kind to me. My spouse isn't kind to me. My friends aren't kind to me. And what I say is, well, then you be kind anyway. See, nobody said that it has to be in response to somebody else's kindness. No, actually, you take the lead. One of the things I'll say tonight at the Creating a Media Safe Home is that as parents, we have to lead. We're sometimes allowing our kids to make all the decisions. No, we lead. That's good, you know, that's good discipleship from the home, actually. But you lead. So kindness is one thing that we give because of what God has given to us, okay? Now, the next scripture is an interesting scripture. It's actually the definition of love, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 13, and it, just a part of 1 Corinthians 13, 4, because there's other parts to it. It says love is kind. Love is patient, and love is kind. So that particular verse is the definition of love. I think it's the best definition of love that the scripture has, and the scripture has lots of ways of even different words for love. But love is patient, but love is kind. When Kathy and I got married, um, she, she used to say, for the first couple of years anyway, she'd say, do you love me? And I always thought that was kind of weird, because I'm a guy, and that, I told her I loved her on our wedding day, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know, you know, kind of thing. But she needed that reassurance. But you know what she was really asking me when I finally figured out? Was, are you going to be kind to me? And where Kathy saw kindness, she saw love. Where Kathy saw love, she saw kindness. See? So the way to love on someone is to actually be kind to them. They may have a different view than you. Your kids may have strayed. I speak a lot in this book called Doing Life with Your Adult Children about kids who have violated values and strayed from faith because it's happening like crazy. Kids who are where it's complicated. They have different views than you. And in that case, our job is to keep our biblical foundation and be kind. See? And so we want to have boundaries, but we also, in boundaries, you can have kindness. You can have those kind of boundaries. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day. We were talking about tough love. And I said, tough love doesn't mean to be mean to your kids. Tough love means to actually allow them to carry out the consequences of a poor choice. But you can do that with kindness. I am so sorry that you lost your cell phone and that you dropped it and it broke. And I know you're going to figure out how to pay for that because I'm not going to, we're not paying for it. Okay. I am so sorry that you got a DUI. And yeah, you're going to have to go to that school and sure, 
This family that I'm thinking about right now had the money to pay 5,000 bucks to an attorney and that thing could have got taken off, but for 10 years, the kid had it on his record. And guess what? He never drank and drove during that 10 years. See what I'm saying? So that's tough love, but it's also showing kindness. You do it with a smile. You allow the consequences to take place. I'm getting too much into parenting here, but that's an important thing for us to think about, see? Now, the next scripture to me is a great scripture. It's found in Galatians 5, and 23, and it's actually on the fruit of the Spirit. I'm using really basic scriptures today, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You put all those together, and actually kindness does stick out. You say, well, I'm a Christian, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Then be kind to me. There is no room for meanness in relationships. Why? Because we have the fruit of the, of the Spirit coming out of our life. We have the Holy Spirit living within our life. And you say, but I'm filled with the Spirit. Great, don't be mean. You can be strong with your values. I hope you are. You can be consistent. I hope you are. But at the same time, what we're called to do is also be kind. That's, that's the call. And you say again, well, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, um, you know, feeling like they're being kind to me. This, when the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, you're going to be kind. And then the last one is great. Colossians 3, 12, and it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So, in other words, you put kindness on. Are you willing to do that? So, I have a friend named Shanti Felton, and she's a good friend of mine, and she and her husband, Jeff, live in Atlanta, and I, Shanti and I were speaking at something, uh, a women's conference, 3,800 women. I called it the estrogen conference, but that's another story. And she just finished a book called The, the Kindness Challenge, and I actually want to close with, with what she said in the book. I was talking with her at that conference, and I said, how's, how's your book going? And she goes, oh, 89 0.3% of the people who practice the kindness challenge say that it helps their relationship. She's a researcher from Harvard. And I went, okay, cool. So I want to give you the kindness challenge and then I'm going to ask you to walk out of here and actually consider doing the kindness challenge for the next 30 days so you get some homework, okay? So first of all, you're going to nix the negative. You're going to nix the negative. Can you do that for 30 days? And in nixing the negative, what you're going to do is you're going to basically... You're going to just avoid speaking negatively. You can speak truth, but not do it in a negative way. Say nothing negative, either to a family member, to a spouse, to somebody. Um, and then actually don't even talk negative about them to somebody else. Secondly, you're going to practice the positive. Or practice praise, I mean. Practice praise. So every day you're going to find a positive thing um, and sincerely praise or affirm Again, that family member or that person. And then actually you're gonna praise somebody, you're gonna tell somebody else about it. And then thirdly, you're gonna carry out kindness every day. Small act of kindness or generosity. And I see kindness and generosity as similar to that family person. So you're gonna next the negative, you're gonna practice praise, and you're gonna carry out kindness. And if you do that, I'm convinced that it can be better than what Shanti said, better than 89%. Now, again, it takes discipline. Paul said to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And so there's a discipline to carry out the kindness challenge. I think it took me 48 days to do the kindness challenge because I had to keep going back because I kept messing up. But I'm telling you that it works. And what you're doing 
and sometimes without even understanding, is going back to that scripture where Jesus said, you're gonna get rain and storms, and you're gonna get rain and storms in relationships, but build it on the rock rather than on the sand. Can you do that? I think you can. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for these men and women. Thank you for a church that cares for families. When you reach the family, you reach the world. And Lord, I pray for uh, each family and each person here that you would speak to their hearts, that you would whisper in their ear that there would be decisions to be made about their relationships. And for some of them, they're not having a good day because it's been a really hard time. For others, it's just tweaking it just a little bit. But whatever it is, Lord, we know we can't do it on our own, but that we call upon you and we call upon your strength and your power and your comfort. And so God, even now in the quietness of our heart, what do you want us to do? Who do you want us to be? And Lord, thank you so much that we have a church right here where we can be um, a place where we can pray, a place where there is freedom, a place where we get to hear the word of God to grow so that we can be more effective in our life with you and in our life with our loved ones. So Lord, right now, speak to our hearts. Challenge us. Comfort us. Do your work. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. Great.